Hey, Jim. Welcome back. I have an exciting guest here with us today, and it's a repeat guest from season one. Y'all loved her work and content so much, her approach, her personality, her style, as do I. She is so lovely. Today, we've got back Dr. Tanya Holthus. So she is a psychologist locally here in Edina, Minnesota, and people who have worked with her have described her as warm, compassionate, easy to talk to, empathetic, and reliable. She loves the work that she does. She's so passionate about it. Um, She'll go to bat for you, and she will work hard for you. She also uses an integrative approach of many modalities to fit the unique needs of each client, of each individual person. Some of these modalities include filial play therapy, somatic experiences, EMDR, and air network. And you can read more about that on her website. You can learn more about her, her services. But she was on in season one, and we talked about um, narcissistic parental relationships, and then co-parenting. And she's so passionate. This is one of the main areas of work that she does is dealing with narcissists. And the feedback was so good. It is the top three episode of all of season one. You loved it so much. Like I said, I think it's one that's easy to share. So if you haven't listened to that one, head on back, listen to that. It's so good. Tanya is so warm and welcoming. Like, I mean, everything that her clients use, I can say I experience that as well. And um, this episode, we are going to talk about love bombing and Darvo. So with that, I'll let you listen in. I will link all of her stuff in the show notes, and I hope you enjoy. Jem, you are in for a real treat today. Well, first of all, I already got treated because... My guest today (laughs) brought me a drink, brought me a chai tea latte, and what a treat. So that is what we're both (laughs) drinking today. And you, if you've been around in season one, welcome back. We are in season two now of Drinking with Gin. Took a little vacation. Drinking with Gin deserved a, or well, took a well-deserved vacation. And now we are back in full swing in season two. And I invited back Dr. Tanya Holthus. And it's because her episode, your episode that we did, was incredible. It's the number three episode for all of season one for Drinking With Gin. And it's because your content, your delivery, your compassion, Mm -hmm. your wealth of knowledge just really resonated with the gems here. So so awesome. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for being willing to come back. So the first episode, we talked a lot about narcissism, Mm -hmm. children of narcissists, Mm -hmm. co-parenting with narcissists, which I think that resonated with so many people. Um, Just right before we started uh, recording, I told you that basically that episode I felt like was a therapy session for me and like you were describing my whole life. And so I know like the impact that it had on me uh, in such a positive way Mm -hmm. and other people I'm sure, you know, felt the same. Oh, good. So that's great. so. So what we are going to talk about today, two things. Well, and who knows, it might unfold into even more. But (laughs) um, a few months ago, I was at a party and one of my friends came up to me and they go, oh my gosh, I was watching Ted Lasso last night 
and I heard the word love bombing and it totally made me think of you and your podcast and your content. And then they were like, I hope that's not a bad thing. I was mm. like, are you kidding me? Anytime somebody thinks of like my content or a podcast and it's something that's relevant, mm -hmm. that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, she's right. I should do an episode on love bombing, but in true Jenny fashion, I'm not going to just do it flippantly. I wanted to bring on an expert. So mm. let's start there. Like, yeah, what is love bombing? Because we know people are like, if it's on mainstream, you know, television, people right. are, you know, tossing that term around, but let's get to the yeah. root of it and talk about what it really is. Yeah. Well, I think that when people think of love bombing, like the popular understanding of that, right, is like a very intentional manipulation tactic, right, to um, get somebody to like them or fall in love with them so they can use them. That can be the case, right? But I think like from a clinical perspective, what's really happening is it, there's a person who is in desperate need for connection, attachment, um, feelings of safety, security, and feeling like their needs are met and they're good enough. And they get that external validation from this person by love bombing them. But also, there is, so some people might disagree with this, this could be a little controversial, right? There is a really genuine component to that, right? Like the way that I characterize, and I'll talk about this more later, but the way that I think about narcissism is really an attachment disorder, right? And so they are, they have had some attachment trauma, right? And they're really seeking some, some person, right? To sort of fix that for them. So it's not coming from a healthy place, right? But it can be really genuine, if that makes sense. It's really interesting because I've experienced love bombing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, probably a lot of my audience, especially if they've found me through social media or, you know, through a connection of, you know, relating to my book, maybe have experienced it too. Mm -hmm. And I know people that have said to me, I easily like fall into love bombing. Like mm -hmm. I like that attention and I know that about myself and they had to intentionally break those patterns yep. of falling into it and I actually saw a meme recently and it said love bombing totally works on me because who wouldn't fall in love with me in a week you know <laughs> right. and so there is a component of it that mm -hmm. it is flattering right and totally. it does you do get do, does love bombing kind of trigger those dopamine hits oh for sure yes we have that rush of dopamine, norepinephrine, right? So there's a neurological chemical thing that's happening in the brain. Um, and you're right, like it does, it feels amazing, right? It especially is going to work on people that are in more vulnerable places, right? Or have attachment wounds themselves and they're gonna go, oh my gosh, this is everything that I've been looking for in somebody, right? And it's a little bit of that human magnet syndrome that we talked about um, in the last podcast, right? But if you have somebody who is like an, has narcissism, right? And their whole thing is my needs come first, right? And they find somebody who is more in that caretaking role or they're more apt to put other people's needs first, that's a really good attraction, right? So that definitely is part of what happens about like why that's effective, right? But yes, both people are in this place of kind of, you know, attachment disorder, desperate need for that, and they fall right into it with that rush of endorphins. Okay, so you explained that's why it's so effective. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> if you, we kind of think about people with narcissism um, in a more of a developmentally regressed place 
emotionally, and I'll talk more about how that works neurologically, right? But when they're going through that love, love bombing phase, they're kind of in a place of like a kid in a candy store, right? Where they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, this is amazing, right? And it's obviously feeling good to the love bomby too. What happens is just like, um, just like that sugar rush wears off, right? Euphoria isn't something, those that the dopamine and norepinephrine, it's not something that lasts in our brain forever. We come down from it. When that happens in the brain of a person with narcissism, they feel a betrayal. And their automatic kind of assumption is that the other person is pulling away, rejecting them, abandoning them in some way, even if that person hasn't done anything to do that, right? Just the natural wearing off of those endorphins puts them into that threat response, right? And so that's when they um, go into what I would consider like the avoidant attachment, right? Where they're going, okay, first it was, I need you, I need you, I need you. And now it's like, I don't want you, get away from me, right? And they might do that by, you know, being abusive, right? And or part of abusive, but like the stonewalling, right? And then the person who is on the recipient and the love bomby, right? They're going, wait, where did those feelings go? That felt so good. I just want that back again, right? And so they do things to try to get that back, right? Which is feeding, feeding into the supply of the person with narcissism. And then they go, okay, I'll give it back, right? And they do the love bombing again. And what's really happening in the brain is this intermittent reinforcement pattern that is very, very similar to somebody who has like a gambling addiction, right? Or a drug addiction. They're kind of seeking that next high. It's like this, this craving that they just need it. And they can kind of get really stuck in that pattern, right? And in that cycle. And they're both in that cycle. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I have a couple of follow-up questions yeah. to that, but is that a little bit of like the Hoover and discard as well? Like, is that, that sounds a little bit of like what's going on. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I think about it, um, kind of, like I said earlier, but it's like an anxious avoidant or a disorganized attachment style. Okay. Right. So it's that back and forth of, I need you, I need you get away from me. I don't want to, Oh wait, I need you. I need you get away from me. I don't want you kind okay. of back and forth and that's what's happening for the narcissist and often sometimes for the love bomby but i would say the love bomby those people usually have more of an anxious attachment style but sometimes they can also be anxious avoidant so it just depends okay and if you are the love bomby mm -hmm. for the narcissist is it the more responsive you are and the more you feed into it the more they give or how does that work yeah well, I think it could be, right? I mean, here's the other thing. So um, people who are in that love bomby place, right? They, because of the human magnet syndrome, like we already talked about, they are more um, codependent sometimes or caregiving or submissive, right? And so um, that usually comes with a little bit of lower self-esteem. So um, what's happening, right, is that they might feel this really inappropriate guilt as a result of the abuse and so they're thinking I did something wrong this is my fault they're mad at me I need to make up for it I need to I need to redeem myself I need to take care of this um, I need to help them feel better right so they go into that role and it's like I think that that yes does help the love bomber then um, fall back into another pattern of love bombing but also the person with narcissism 
they also need that dopamine rush again, right? So as soon as whatever has worn off, the threat, the feeling of that threat has worn off for them, even regardless maybe of how the other person has responded, they'll go back into that love bombing because they know that that's going to feed that supply, if you will, right? But from just kind of like a, um, a subconscious level, right? Not even a conscious level, they're just, they're just craving those positive feelings again, too, if that makes sense. That does make sense. And I don't know, we didn't talk about this beforehand. So I, I want to see if this is something that we can kind of do. Yeah, we can talk about some examples of what love bombing is mm -hmm. and what it isn't. Yes. And so I can just throw out some examples. Sure. Maybe and you can say, yes, that's love bombing or no, that's not. Yep. Okay. Uh, someone that's been dating for a couple of weeks. I've never felt anything like this before. You are the, I, you know, you're the best person that I've ever met. You're so perfect for me. Total love bombing. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I would say red flags are really extreme statements of, of intense feeling for that person. Like just what you said, um, some people might throw out the L word after a couple of dates. I would also say if they're planning for the future, like you're on the second date and they're like, oh my gosh, you're going to love meeting my mom. And like, oh, we're, we're totally going to go to Paris someday. Where do you want to retire together? That's weird, right? It's so weird, but when you are in it, it is sometimes so hard to see. And that's why I uh -huh. think this conversation is so important. And I'm so grateful that you yeah. were willing to come back on because I had those experiences. You know, my ex literally within the first three, four weeks was like, I can't wait for you to meet my kids. And I was like, yeah. what? Like, what does their mom think about it? Like, we need to have yes. a conversation. Like, and I, even though I still approached it that way, I think he still was able to manipulate the conversation. And it, it just was really interesting. And another thing, too, was literally, I think, on our second date, he was like, you should come on this trip with me mm -hmm. for, you know, in six months or whenever it was. Yes. And it's like, that's weird. Yes. But would this be weird if you've been dating a couple of weeks and you know you say i'm really enjoying getting to know you i could see us traveling well together at some point in the future not weird not weird not weird okay yep that's so, healthy and yeah. i think it sometimes is a fine line and yep. being being able to know what is and what isn't mm -hmm. and kind of those red flags that you yes. explained is really helpful yep and i think you know just another a couple more examples right um, how demanding they are of your time. So somebody who is love bombing you, they're going to be texting you multiple times a day usually. And it's not just that they're wanting to say, you know, good morning and good night. They're, they want to know what you're doing, when you're doing it. If you don't respond, they, they start to freak out and worry and guilt trip you like, well, why didn't you respond? Or I guess you must be too busy to, to talk to me or those types of things. They're wanting to like, go on the next date the next day, right? And see you multiple times. And if you have prior engagements and you say no, they don't take that very well. They have a hard time respecting boundaries. So those are also some, some signs of love bombing for sure um, to watch out for. And I think because like, depending on the scale of narcissism, and I mean, when I look at my ex, I mean, he's beyond, I mean, like he probably creates a whole new scale. Yep. And now, like, especially just in the past several months, the number of women that have reached out to me that were also dating him unknowingly when he was living in my house 
is astounding. And so right. the more on that, maybe that magnet scale that they are, yep. you potentially need more of that supply and need. So they might be love bombing several people mm-hmm. all at the same time. Yes, yes, yep. They, they very well could be. Um, and I have seen that many times. I, I had a client come in this week who is recently divorced, very recently divorced, um, from her ex-husband, who is pretty high on the scale of that narcissism. Um, she went on a date by a man who had approached her in the gym, right? And um, total all these red flags of love bombing. But one of the things that he did was he just started divulging all of this really deep personal intimate information of like his life's problems and like deepest darkest secrets right and they had they had gone on one date and what does she do she her first instinct she's so compelled to like oh my gosh are you like I'm so sorry right and she's trying to take care of him emotionally so this is also a sign of love bombing too right where they're able and willing to get to this really intimate level of trust with you immediately barely knowing you right and if you um, are a good match on that human magnet spectrum right and you start to take care of their emotions that also shows them yep this is this is a match this is a good fit this dynamic is ready to go right Um, so it's just that's also something that you might think wow they really trust me and they they feel really safe with me right but then you have to step back and go why would you tell me something like that when you just met me, right? It's an inappropriate boundary. Yeah. Definitely. And I think it goes back to being aware, right? Mm -hmm. Knowing the signs, being Mm self-aware, and then also being aware of what's going on. And I think it does start a lot with Mm self-awareness and, you know, self-love and self-discovery, like knowing yourself, trusting yourself, being able to understand what's going on. Yes. And what your tendencies are, being aware of them, and then you can identify the behaviors of the other person that you're engaging with. Yep, yep. You know, I tell people when they're starting to date, and just to redeem that client, that was her, that was her, um, you know, initial instinct, but she told him he should probably get a therapist. <laughs> she didn't, she didn't fall for it. But anyways. <laughs> Good um, for her. I, I am so proud of her. I know. That's great. I know. I'm proud of her too. Um, you know, a lot of what I tell people is like, you don't, you don't have to, like if you're having these really intense feelings right away that's kind of a red flag right so track that in yourself um but it's also not to say that you can't just you know you can't you can never have a passionate relationship right but the key is is that you want to take it slow and you want to be aware of these signs another thing that people do that that I work with when they're starting to date after coming out of a, a narcissistic abuse situation is they'll say well he checks off all the boxes but I don't you know I'm not having that like intense passion it's kind of boring and I'm like ding 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 that means he's safe that means you're in a stable secure situation it's just unfamiliar to you do not stop dating this man like keep going and part of it is um, again so I, I relate this to an to an addiction process because that's what's happening in the brain when Um, I I have worked with people who have been recovering from chemical dependency, right? And when they're sober, initially, they have a really hard time being able to experience positive emotions. Everything feels super dull to them because they're used to that really high high. So what you have to do is sort of retrain your brain to see like 
regular kind of contentment and and joy and excitement right as positive right because com- the disparity of that um, in comparison to the euphoria is just going to feel more dull and that just takes time so I just tell people to kind of stick with it and know that that's something they're going to have to work on I just had this conversation with one of my girlfriends who's recently gotten back into the dating game, like intentionally wanting to date, looking for, you know, a partner in crime. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great. And there's this guy she's gone on a few dates with and checks most of the boxes, super nice, really thoughtful. She's like, I just like the passion, the chemistry. And I was like, here's the thing. It depends what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. If you are looking for a long-term partner in crime, somebody that you want to entertain having a relationship with, it should feel a little bit boring at first, right? But Mm -hmm. if you're just looking for, you know, a fun night or a fun weekend or whatever here and there, but that passion, usually, like you said, it's those highs and lows. And that's not sustainable long-term. Right. And so not to say that, one is right or wrong right it really depends on what you are looking for and so keeping that in the back of your mind and being intentional about if you're looking for a long-term partner that's kind of what we're talking about yep yep exactly it depends on what your intention is and i i have clients that do that too they're like you know what it was so passionate and it was so fun and i needed that and so i just did it right and fine as long as you can do that and you can do that without shame Right. That's the big piece. I say if you if you go do that, right, maybe you have a one night stand or something and you're feeling like crap about yourself the next day. Probably not a good idea. Right. But if you're if you can go with it, um, totally fine. But right. It's maybe not going to be an indication of a longer term partner. Yep. That's really good context. So thank you for expanding on that. Yeah. What else about love bombing? I mean, we've talked about why it's so effective, kind of, you know, the intent behind it you know, the perspective of the love bomber and mm-hmm. the love bomby gave mm-hmm. some really great examples. Mm-hmm. I think one of the other things um, that we had thought about talking about was um, how it can show up in different relationships. Yes. Right. So yes. we've been talking primarily about romantic relationships, but this can also show up in family relationships um, and in like collegial or like work environments for sure. So friendships, friendships. I've yep. had that. How about this for an example? Yeah. I've actually had people reach out to me. I think I might have talked about love bombing briefly mentioned it in a previous episode because someone reached out to me on social media and they were like, I was totally love bombed by a friend. Like right away they were like, oh my gosh, I've never had a friend. Like you're like a sister to me. You're like a best friend, like right away immediately. And sometimes that can feel good, Mm -hmm. right? But again, inappropriate from a timeline perspective. Just met you. you. Like friendships are cultivated and built over Over time. time. Yeah. And I think in that situation, you know, if she would have said something like, um, you know, I just feel like we ha- we have a good connection or a good vibe, and I'm I'm glad I met you. That would be different, right? Than like, you're the best friend I've ever had, or whatever. You know, um, that's a helpful because I think it's harder to detect in friendships for sure. That's the hardest for me, anyways, as a clinician to detect. What so I have a lot of people that come in. They either come in for romantic or familial, right? And I see a lot of people who have parents children or siblings with narcissism and you know the way that love bombing shows up there what I always hear them say is they will have a period of time or 
one to a series of interactions with their family member and they will say it felt normal like it felt like un what a normal mom would do like she just listened and supported me and said she loved me it felt amazing right or like I had a blast with my sister like we ne that never happens right it was so easy and so it might not be this like over the top right but it might just be like all of a sudden they are willing to connect with you or willing to validate you or willing to get, give you those needs um, that they weren't before. And, you know, can't say why in every situation, but I, what I always tell them is, you know, take that for what it is. We're not gonna generalize that. We're not gonna place our hope on that. We're not gonna have that expectation. You can just say, wow, that was really nice that I could have that experience with them this one time right and if it happens again great but I know that like I know what the pattern is and I know that um, what I need to do just to set up my expectations to be realistic so I think that's kind of how I've seen it show up clinically in a, in a family relationship in a work relationship I think I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have seen this like in their boss. Yeah, <laughs> right. Or not in a boss, but I had a colleague where it was really bad. It was like, oh, you're like, again, the very fast, close relationship. Um, you know, you're like the sister I never had. Sure. You know, those types of things like buying for my book launch, like the most over the top floral arrangement, but then would be really mean to me, you know, in other mm -hmm. ways. It was really interesting. Like that was a very interesting dynamic. But I think a lot of times, and this is kind of how it happened for me, is, you know, this ending shocking and traumatic end to my relationship with Chad, as I call him in the book, sure. that's what really raised the awareness for me about the other relationships. And one of the things that I noticed with family and friends that do the love bombing, yep. they keep track of everything. Mm, Nothing mm -hmm. is... Unconditional. Mm -hmm. Correct. Everything is conditional. Yes. Yeah. So, right. So that is, that could be some of the purpose and the intention, right? Is they're like putting that kind of in their pocketbook so they can pull it out at any time and be like, well, you owe me this because I did da 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 da, da for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, yeah. You also have to be careful of that too. I mean, yes, it can feel good when that happens, but also be a little bit weary when that's happening because there could be those alternative motives or ulterior motives yeah for sure um you know in in the boss kind of co-worker or employer situation employee I should say um I think that that shows up like you know maybe your boss is kind of usually a jerk and then all of a sudden they're praising your work or they're maybe offering you a raise and that seems kind of you know uncharacteristic or something and that is either because you know they're afraid that you might retaliate or quit right or maybe they're buttering you up because they need to kind of drop a bunch of stuff in your lap so I think that's a way it can show up but there's one one example I wanted to share a personal story so a couple of years ago I was trying I was looking for office space and I found um, this space that I thought could work and the there was a woman who was kind of the head of like the suite and and the lease and I met with her and she was kind of really opening up to me and um she was saying things like oh my gosh I never talk this much you know about myself and about things with someone that I just met I'm just so comfortable with you and oh my gosh you're going to be such a good fit and oh we do this um consulting group with a bunch of women and 
you're gonna fit in so good and I'm so lucky to have found you and um, we'll make whatever accommodations you need for your space here and your hours and this is gonna be awesome right and I left there feeling like oh my gosh I hit the jackpot like this is awesome then um, a little bit later we had a bunch of exchange and then it came time to sign the lease and um, there were some things written in there that were different than what she had told me so I confronted her on it gently like hey this isn't what we talked about um, she did not like that very much so she um, she basically said that um, I was making things up in my head I never said that like clearly you're not in a mentally stable place to be here there's no way we could sign with somebody like you and blocked me I had literal text messages documenting what she said the opposite of what was in the lease yet I was the crazy one so she gaslit me right even therapists can get gaslit I, I, and yeah. and yes. like I say that all the time like therapists need therapy coaches need yeah. coaching like the you know we all we all it doesn't matter who yeah. you are you can fall victim totally. or prey to the stuff so totally thank you for sharing that of course yeah I think that's really really beneficial for people to hear that right yeah and so. in a work environment right so exactly. not, a, not a romantic relationship right. but in a working type of environment and here you thought you found the, the jackpot or mm -hmm. you know like won the jackpot and have this new space but mm -hmm. did things work out even better oh way better I mean I was devastated I cried right and mm. I was like am I crazy you know I, all the things that people go through and then I was like oh my gosh she's a narcissist and she just loved bomb me and gaslit the crap out of me <laughs> and I was like holy cow I dodged a bullet yes. good riddance I was just yeah. like yeah so I had this conversation with my sister not that long ago because I had a week where I got like for no's of, of like for work stuff and yeah she was like it just means not right now and I was like no it doesn't it doesn't mean not right now it means no mm -hmm. there's something better and I think when you have that mindset like your mindset matters so much yeah. and um so I think that's great that it worked out even better for yes, you as did. well it was perfect. perfect thank you <laughs> okay so love bombing I you know I think that's a good a good amount of information on the yeah. loan because we could probably talk for much much longer about it and <laughs> many many more examples but I definitely can relate like from the over-the-top texting you know yes. all day the you know you're this that putting you on the pedestal the over you know the oversharing I want you know, the oversharing I, I want you to meet my kids after three weeks of dating I want to go on vacation like just being aware and if something doesn't feel quite right it's probably not quite mm -hmm. right and you know knowledge is power and that's why we're doing this here today yes yes and i would say also to just add quickly to that like pay attention to your body right so girl yeah <laughs> people are like i mean you know if it felt good in one sense that he was trusting me but i had like i just felt a little uncomfortable in my body or my it made my stomach hurt like yeah that's yeah. Or like if you get shingles on your face, oh that's probably a pretty big indicator. Oh. That's what the scar is. Oh or if gosh. all your hair falls out or if you're having abnormal mm -hmm. uh, skin cancer lesions, like our bodies tell us. Like if yes. you are under stress and duress, like you said, if your stomach is upset or mm -hmm. if you just don't feel quite right, you feel pay panicky attention. all of a sudden. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Pay attention to that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, and since you did bring up gaslighting, mm-hmm. w- that's a perfect transition. So we're going to talk about gaslighting and DARVO. Yes. And so I think a lot of people have not heard of DARVO, not mm-hmm. to be confused with PARVO, which is a virus in dogs. Okay, um, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so DARVO, I think, is really fascinating. And yeah. we were chatting earlier about, like, so many things that narcissists do are just textbook. Mm-hmm. It's it's like they all got the same playbook and handbook and just yep. play all of these things mm-hmm. out. So DARVO in gaslighting, well, let's, so I think because we've talked a little bit about gaslighting, let's just mm-hmm. do like, a, what's a quick refresh definition of gaslighting? So gaslighting is an attempt to basically manipulate somebody else to have control or power over them. That's essentially what gaslighting is. Um, so I'll, like other examples of gaslighting would be like, um, you're, I didn't do that. You're just not remembering like correctly, right? Um, when they, they did actually do it, right? So kind of making you try to feel crazy, right? Or gaslighting is like, um, I didn't mean to throw that at you. I was just throwing it over there and it just, you know, I, that was an accident, right? I meant to gently lob it in your direction. Right, right. Or how about when I confronted Chad when I suspected that he was cheating on me when I got shingles on my face, um, and he said, if I had any idea that there were trust issues in this relationship, I would have never uprooted my children and moved them into your house. Mm-hmm. That's a, your, your fault. My fault. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, let's shift the blame mm-hmm. onto you and mm-hmm. then leaves you feeling crazy mm-hmm. oftentimes. Right. Like, that's kind of the intent. Sure. And so that's a great, like, kind of recap with some excellent examples. That's very helpful. So what's DARVO? So DARVO is an acronym, D-A-R-V-O. So this is, DARVO conceptually is something that I've been very aware of with people with narcissism, but this this lovely acronym that they came up for it is was newer to me for sure. So it stands for deny and attack, and then the result is a reverse offender and victim. So this is very classic of somebody with narcissism to do, right? And something that we've kind of just illustrated a little bit with gaslighting is if they're, let's say you accuse them of something, right? Their first line of defense is gonna be to deny it. I didn't do that, right? And then, and then they might say something like, why would you accuse me of that? They're already starting, right, to do that attack where now it switches into I can't believe you're accusing me of that. How could you do that? How could you hurt me in that way? Now what they have done is they have reversed themselves from being the the offender to themselves being the victim, and now you are the offender. So when I think about, um, you know, you had asked the question about, like, the the difference between DARVO and gaslighting. I think that DARVO is a form of gaslighting, so they are... Um, similar, but gaslighting doesn't necessarily have to result in victim blaming, or or I would even take it a step further, it's really victim villainizing, right? Yeah, and sometimes with gaslighting, it's to try to get you to remember things differently, right? Like, I remember having experiences where it's like, gosh, is that what happened? Mm -hmm. Like, is 
is that really the way the circumstances went? Did I do that? Right, you start to question yourself, mm -hmm. whereas Darvo is very specific in the approach. So gaslighting yes. is a little bit more of an overarching yes. term that can encompass a lot of different tactics, and right. Darvo is one of those tactics yes. that kind of falls under the gaslighting yes. category. Yep. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. That's, that's a great explanation. And Darvo, because I think, again, it's a newer terminology, I've come across it a bunch just in my own, you know, research on my own journey. And that's why I wanted to bring some awareness to it because yes. it does have that similar mm -hmm. effect, right? At the yeah. end of the conversation where you start to question and you're mm -hmm. like, wait a minute, is mm -hmm. that really how it happened? Was I wrong? Right. Did I like, you know, was I accusing them of something? So we could even, I mean, I don't know if you have any examples mm -hmm. that you could share with us like what that might look like like a specific type of conversation of, of darvo yes well i mean i think from a general sense it is kind of what i just laid out right it's the you know i didn't do that you're setting me up you're the one doing this to me you're bad right and then then now the victim feels the guilt right and I and kind of what we talked about earlier I think the reason why this is so effective is because it is targeted on people who they know fall into that more codependent submissive caregiving right where they have some of that guilt as a result of the narcissistic abuse and so they believe it right oh I didn't mean to accuse you or that that's not what I meant or no um oh okay maybe you didn't do it or or and now now I'm bad, right, in some way, and now I, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have acute, right? So they kind of can go into that. I also think that it, it, it it's more effective on groups that are more vulnerable. So this is used a lot with kids, right? Ugh. A lot with women, um, just because culturally how we've been kind of set up in the patriarchy, right? Um, so, and it's also effective because now the person with narcissism is shed in this good light where they didn't do anything wrong, so it preserves their ego, right? So it's kind of, it's it like, it's a well-oiled machine, unfortunately, which is why I think it does become so effective. But there's a, some neurology behind all of that, too. Oh, tell us more about that. Okay, so... Here's my, here's my neurology spiel. Um, so we were talking before we started recording, right, about narcissism being really in a cluster of other personality disorders. So narcissism is characterized in the same category of borderline, histrionic, and antisocial. So there's, there can be some overlap, but all of these are attachment disorders. So it's early relational attachment wounds. So it, so the person with narcissism, I have, and I, I have some people that I've come across where they're like, I can't, like, there's no trauma history in, you know, my mom's life or in my husband's life. There is, you just don't know about it or they don't know about it. This is not something you're born with. This is not a way that your brain is just wired from birth. This is a very much a um, nurture versus nature situation okay. right so you have had some sort of traumatic experience it's been in those formative years your brain is still developing right so then what happens is you form this maladaptive way of coping 
right, with um, which which is working for you at the time, but in general it's maladaptive, that then your neurology just sort of your brain grows into that and it becomes normative for you. This is the way that I have to interact in the world in order to survive and be safe, and this is normal for relationships. That's what's happening in their brain. Now, what I will say also, when anybody has trauma um, at any point in time in their life, but we're talking kind of a more early trauma, um, our neurology actually sort of encapsulates that traumatic experience in sort of like a time capsule and that is off of the chronological trajectory of our brain meaning you can have somebody in their 40s let's say who if they're triggered and that um, that neural pathway right in that in the brain is lit up from that trauma and the brain's going oh i remember this i remember this feeling right that part of the brain lights up and they can actually regress into that emotional state that they were at developmentally at that time. So this is where we see things like adult tantrums, yes. really irrational behavior, right? And I'll, I'll say a few more things about that. So let's say this happens to uh, <clears throat> a young person, right? So this is the kind of the age they're regressing back to. Young people... Um, because their brain isn't fully developed, they are operating more in their primitive defense uh, mechanisms. So let's use a toddler, for example. A toddler tantrums a lot, right? And they're, they're tantruming a lot because they don't have that higher order functioning to have reason and impulse control and emotion regulation that comes later in development. And so the only um, defense mechanisms mechanisms that they have are primitive which are those kind of survival fight flight freeze responses so a, a, a toddler is essentially a, a, one of those big tantrums where they're biting and kicking and screaming right they're in a fight response and it might just be because their milk spilled over right but to them their brain only knows how to process that as like a life or death situation this is what is happening in the neurology of a narcissist when they feel threatened in some way to their safety of their ego, their image, um, status, relationship, whatever. Also, when, we were, when we're in that state of mind, right? So let's say, yes, you're in your 40s, you have a neocortex, you have a prefrontal cortex, you have all of that developed. And what we know is that the, the fight flight response happens, a lot of it in the limbic system, which is the midbrain, in the amygdala, right? And when that is lit up, it can actually disconnect communication from our prefrontal cortex, which is what allows us, I'm getting really brainiac here, but which is what allows us to have the impulse control and regulation. When we're in a fight, flight, freeze response, our cortisol levels are very much raised. That actually decreases blood flow to those parts of the brain, so there's not flow of information and essentially that higher order thinking gets shut off. This is why it's very irrational, right? It's almost like, and I've seen this, mm -hmm. it's almost like a switch flips. Yep. And I've seen this happen, it's where they flip into a rage. Yep. And I've seen this with multiple people that I've had in my life. Yes, and that is a fight response. 
What also can happen, right? We have fight, flight, freeze. So what also can happen, and I think what does happen a lot, is they also dissociate during these episodes. So I, um, 10, 11, 12, 13, I don't know how many years ago, I, um, when I was doing my pre-doctoral internship, I was in Ohio, and one of the many things I had to do was um, I ran an anger management group for adult males that had just recently been released from incarceration, right, and this was a court-mandated group as part of their parole or their probation. The majority of these men did not have memory of what they did. It is just a very common phenomenon that when you're in a fight response, right, it, you're you're horrified, you're you're terrified, right, and you're losing control of your body to go into this fight response. The brain will naturally kick in some of that dissociation to protect you from it. So when we're coming back to the person with narcissism and we're saying, you know, you did X, Y, Z, and they're going, no, I didn't. They might actually be telling the truth, right? Hmm. The other thing is because they don't remember. Interesting. The other thing is, even if um, they didn't dissociate, let's say, uh, another really primitive defense mechanism is denial. So let's go back to the, the child example again. Picture a child who's got chocolate all over their face and hands, right? And they've got a mouthful, and they're going, I didn't take the cookie from the cookie jar, you know? Um, and, and they mean it, right? But it's for self-preservation. And it's a very, um, a lot of times, unconscious um, survival and protective mechanism. So if, even if they're not dissociating, they might be unconsciously repressing the memory for that self-preservation. So it's, I also want to say, I am not trying to give them an excuse, okay? I'm trying to explain what's happening neurologically and why it feels so crazy that they are so convinced they didn't do these things. Um, and all of this is to say, right, it's helpful, I think, to understand the neurology for a couple of reasons. One, I want people to feel validated in their experience that this is a real thing. Two, I want them to feel like, you know, they, they, the, the experiences that they had that they felt were really genuine with these people sometimes probably were, right? I mean, we're talking about a human being with a significant amount of trauma, and this is a severe, pervasive mental illness that they have, right? So if anything, hopefully this information brings understanding to validate your situation, but also to help you depersonalize it because it's not about you, right? It's, a, it's about their neurology and their trauma and their whatever's happening for them. Um, and you still get to decide if you want to be on that journey or not with them. You definitely don't have to be, but it just gives some context. So that is some great context. And one of the things I'll say is a lot of the women that have reached out to me that have also said that they are survivors of yep. the real life Chad that I write about in my book yeah. is that it destroyed them that they felt mm -hmm. broken or that something was wrong with them. It was confusing. It was painful. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, when I went through what I did with him, I immediately knew that it wasn't something wrong with me, that it was him. Good. And I think that helped me probably get through it and, totally. you know, grow through it. But it's, it's really interesting. So I always say, you know, like the pathological line component is that they would have to believe their lies 
Like they would have to in order to be able to survive in reality. Yep. Yep. And this is why I say it's almost like a little bit of a delusional disorder, mm. right? But it's, but yes, it, it wholeheartedly, I think that they do believe. I, I do. I will also say, yes, there are more of the malignant type, right? And the more um, overt uh, forms of narcissism where there is malicious intent, right? And I think that a lot of those exist, right? But I think probably more is this covert type where it's not maybe as easily detected, right? But they're really, they really don't remember. Um, and, and that's why they believe whatever they believe to be true, right? But their reality is very distorted. And again, this is just, it's such a pervasive mental illness. It really is. And that's part of going back to DARVO. That's yep. part of the whole purpose of DARVO is to make their reality yep. seem like your reality. Right. But when you start questioning reality and what mm -hmm. happened and the, you know, turn of events, mm -hmm. that's a really good time or opportunity to kind of sit with that and if mm -hmm. it doesn't feel right right like mm -hmm. trust yourself I think one of the things that help that has helped me in certain situations in the past is journaling hmm. writing things down mm. so that yes. you can't get confused or yes. thrown off your track right yes. the more documentation that you have to help you stand in your truth and the reality of what's happening for you and your life with this person that's making you feel this way can be really beneficial to be able to go back to that and go, no, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. Here are the facts mm -hmm. and own that for yourself. Yep. I think that most people that are involved in any relationship with someone with narcissism, um, well, maybe not most, but many that I've worked with do some form of journaling. Um, and a lot of them also record. They mm. record conversations without the other person knowing, which do what, do what you need to do, right? But I think... Just check and make sure it's not illegal that's where, right. where you are. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I, I know that it's like legal, right? If it's in your own home or whatever, there's different laws about it. But, um, but yes, writing it down right after and they... A lot of people do that because they need that reality check. They need that validation and they also need a reminder, right? So that they can come back when they get kind of sucked into that love bombing again or whatever, they can come back and go, oh yeah, right. This is what, this is what it comes to, or this is what's really underneath that and yeah. helps kind of keep things in perspective. It does. I think it really helps ground you so that you're mm -hmm. not sitting there going, well, it was just this one time. It's not that bad. I really do think he or she loves me or, you know, and I think when you start to document it, sometimes it might open your eyes to how frequently it is happening or really help you weigh the pros and cons. Like you said, yep. it's your it's your decision to decide if you want to continue on totally. the journey with this person or not. That's up to you. We're not here to be the judge and jury on nope. what you are, you know, what you need to do, but it's just to be, bring more awareness around mm -hmm. these things and make sure that people feel like they're not alone and right. give like you said, I think you've used the word validation. Give mm -hmm. that validation and uh, make people realize that it's not them, they're not alone, and right. that there are things that they can do to navigate through this. Right, yep, yep, absolutely. It's not, 
there's no right or wrong way is what I tell people. And I would say the majority of people are in a situation where they can't go non, no contact, right? They're co-parenting or um, it's a member of their family that they, it, it would, they would have to cut out everybody to cut this one person out, right? Or they can't quit their job, right? Or whatever it is. So um, yeah, it's figuring out how to navigate those relationships and set boundaries and yeah. Absolute boundaries are so important. Okay. Yes. Wow. That was a lot of really <laughs> great contact. I, I'm a science nerd. So when yeah. you go like brainiac on me, I love it. Like I'm, I'm here for it. So um, we talked about love bombing. Yes. We talked about, I mean, you even, we talked briefly on covert versus over covert versus overt. Yes. Um, I mean, oh my gosh, you gave great examples. We talked about uh, Darvo gaslighting. We went brainy science. Any final thoughts to leave us with today? You know, one of the things people, I, people always come in and they're like, how do I handle this? Right. And that is such an individualized and nuanced question. But I think in a, the only general kind of feedback that I can give, right, is choose your battles, right? Ask yourself the question of like, is this worth, is, is asserting myself, right, or addressing this with this person worth whatever repercussions might come from it or not? Do I have capacity for this or not, right? Um, in terms of what you're gonna address, know that, um, you know, the whistleblowers, for lack of a better word, right, are just people who are really assertive, you know, um, and 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 better at advocating for themselves. They're probably going to experience this more, right, because they're provoking, right? Mm. Not that you shouldn't. I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do, but it does come with that result because it's just harder for the person with narcissism to deal with those threats and challenges. Um, so yeah, so so kind of like go at your own will with it is one thing because what you're saying is the reaction to their behavior yes. gives them something to react to yes and it kind of creates that back and forth battle mm-hmm yeah yep so you have to kind of you know every relationship is different every person with narcissism is different I mean it's really nuanced um, but yeah just kind of think for yourself instinctively like does this make sense for me to address or not the other thing that I work with on people a little bit, um, which is, I, I like to call it like playing the game, right? So if you have to, if you can't get out of a relationship, right, with, with this person with narcissism for the reasons I mentioned, you might have to just play the game, right? You might have to give them a little bit of they want of what they want, right, in order to kind of pacify or keep the peace. And I talk about, you know, you might have to do some white lies. And the example that I give is, you know, a, a parent, if they are have children who are starving and they don't have money, they might have a value of honesty, but their value of survival is higher, right? So they might be still willing to steal, right? Food to feed their kids because survival trumps honesty. So you might be in a position where you're compromising some of your values with how you need to approach, approach these situations, but it's because you have that higher prioritized value, right, of, of safety, really, for yourself, for your family, for whatever it is. One um, really quick example, um, I tell people as part of playing the game, right, 
um, people with narcissism love uh, compliments, right, or whatever. So this is a little bit of, uh, this is a newer term for me, and I don't, I couldn't find a lot on it, but I actually heard it through a client, um, empathetic manipulation. So a little bit of like, um, an example would be, you, um, you've just been working so hard, right? And, and, you know, you've just been such a good dad. Why don't you take some time off and I'll just take the kids. You deserve it. You know, you should really relax and rest after all your hard work, right? And that might be, uh, you know, a survival tactic to like get, get some space and get the kids out of the house, right? Let me tell you, that would be real difficult for me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think right. that that tactic is not for everybody. Yes. But I no, totally, totally understand totally. like the context that you put it in, right? Like survival is... And, and when you mm -hmm. are in, you, maybe you feel trapped in a situation that might be your out. So right. like, like I said, the way that you described it, yes. um, in the context that you put it in was, you know, yeah. made a lot of sense. Yeah. And do what feels right to you, yeah. you know, in your situation. And I understand for some people that can feel really yucky and probably should feel really yucky, you know, but this is again, like, what is the priority of your values and what you're needing to, yeah, just be safe and healthy and have boundaries right yeah it's different than you know it's a different approach right a more assertive honest approach would be like you know i need some space from you and i'm going to take the kids away that's not going to go over very well right right um usually you're getting so. what you want and just kind of like you said manipulating the the approach or yes. kind of the way that you're teeing it up yeah i think emotional security and emotional safety is such an, an important topic because mm -hmm. so often like i you know people come to me to talk about situations you know after reading my book and i hear so often well he's not physically hurting me so it's okay and i think we have to move away from that totally. and how you're talking about emotional security and safety is really important too. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, like you said, there's different tactics and things that you have to do to protect that. And especially if you have children, like yeah. I hate seeing kids be abused, no kidding. you know, like right. emotionally and, you know, manipulated. It's, it's not okay. Mm -hmm. And so like you said, if, if that's what you have to do to put your, kids emotional security and safety first too then that's you know right. an option right right and it's not necessarily like saying you need to get down on their level but it's more like um turning the tables to give them a little kind of taste of their own money or play the game with them or whatever with with something more benign like that you know um and maybe you don't have to butter them up that much, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah, it was more of an extreme example, but. But I love it. You said it's not a one size fits all. Mm -hmm. Like every relationship, every person yes. is different. And yes. that's why yeah. I think when people come to you and they say, what do I do? Mm -hmm. Like first step check, you've become aware of it yep. and you've taken a step to go see a therapist, yep. um, which I think is amazing. So where you still have a wait list yes okay so you still have a wait list i will put all of your information your website and all of your contact information i'll put the human magnet theory book again since sure. you brought that up as a sure. reference yeah um and just thank you again yeah. for your wealth Thanks of knowledge and your compassion and passion on this topic and for being willing to come back and of course share your expertise with us yes thanks for having me 
Well, Jim, I hope that you loved that conversation with Dr. Tanya Holthus as much as I did or half as much than it was a success. But this was a topic that came up because a listener told me about uh, that they heard love bombing on Ted Lasso and made them think of me and the podcast. And so it's an area that I thought if I'm interested in it, you might be too. I hope that you learned something, enjoyed the content. Maybe you got some validation, uh, gave a little bit better understanding of what love bombing and Darvo are. And again, I've got all of Tanya's information linked in the show notes. And Jem, until next time, shine bright and let's get growing.